Thanks for listening. The following audio is a teaching from Calvary Tucson's Young Adult Ministry, Ignition. For more teachings, information, or if you'd like to support our ministry, please visit us online at ignitiontucson.com. We pray you're blessed by the message. Verse 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, The older shall serve the younger. Verse 24, And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau, which basically just means hairy. This is hairy. We call him Hank for short. But he's just hairy. Why? Because he was hairy when he came out. Now, we've had, we have five kids, and two of our babies were, like, fuzzy and hairy when they were born. It's really cute, like, hairy backs. Their, their backs are kind of fuzzy. And typically, it goes away, but it didn't go away for Esau. This dude was hairy the rest of his life. In fact, we're going to see Jacob, he's going to try to disguise himself as Esau, and he has to wear goat skin to do it. He puts on goat skin, and it works. It actually works. His dad touches him and feels the goat fur. He's like, oh, it must be Esau. So this guy was hairy, okay? They named him Harry. Verse 26, after his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Now Jacob, that name means heel grabber, heel snatcher. And that really became a term used for like a con man or a trickster. And that's really what Jacob was. He was really sly and good at working his agenda, working his angle. He was kind of an opportunist, as we'll see. And uh, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. They waited 20 years, as I said before, 20 years before they could have children. So again, we read this, bam, chapter after chapter, all these things happening. But years and years, decades are taking place between chapters. One more reminder again that we need to have patience regarding God's call. Be patient with God in His fulfillment of His promises within your life. Be patient with God in the desires that you have that you want to see God fulfill. Just be patient. God is working things in His time. Verse 27, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So, for casting purposes, I picture Thor and Loki, basically. Only like a a hairier Thor. But that's kind of the picture you get, right? Like the big brawny, not-so-smart brother, and then like the sly, mischievous, skinny brother, I guess, maybe. I don't know if Jacob's skinny. I picture him as skinny. Um, but, you know, Hollywood loves to, to cast the big, burly muscle men as the action, as the hero, right? And so do we. We watch all the movies. And we typically watch, like, Captain America. He's this big, strong guy. You know, guys like Dwayne Johnson, you know, playing these roles. That's the typical Hollywood superhero. Um, but God doesn't often pick those guys. Going back to what I mentioned before, God often picks the ill-equipped. God often picks the underdog the unlikely one. I mean, think of Jesus himself. There was no, nothing in his appearance that we should be drawn to him, it says in Isaiah. No beauty 
Nothing about Christ that would be like, that guy's got a face for the silver screen, you know, or like, man, did you see, did you see Jesus's biceps? I bet he could win in an arm wrestling. No, it wasn't like that at all. In fact, Jesus was so obscure in how he looked that his enemies couldn't even recognize him. He was famous. His enemies were trying to identify him, and yet Judas still had to be like, it's the one I kiss, because he looks like everybody else in, in, the, in the group, really. Um, God does not often pick the one who looks the part, the one who acts the part. And, it, and in this account, he chooses not the mighty son, not the strong son who made his father proud. He picks the mama's boy who likes to bake. Right? And I say that as a proud mama's boy. Like, I was a mama's boy growing up. And this is to be the next patriarch of the nation. The one through whom Messiah would come. And God says, the older shall serve the younger. And as I said before, God's overarching mission in all of this, in choosing Jacob, in moving things forward, is so that he could populate heaven. And so the big picture here, guys... Though we might get lost in the minutia of these characters, the big picture here is the covenant of salvation. The whole point of this, the whole point of calling Abraham and choosing Isaac is because God is making a covenant through which salvation would come. And this means that every story we read in the Old Testament is progressively moving forward toward the plan of salvation. And they're all pointing us to Jesus. In fact, as you read through the Old Testament on your own time, it's, it's kind of like a fun game of where's Waldo? Where is Jesus? What, how is this story pointing us to Jesus Christ? And at this point in history, what do they know of the gospel? What do they know of the covenant? Well, number one, they know that there would be someone born of the seed of the woman, Genesis chapter 3, who would crush the head of the serpent, who would defeat sin. Then it went on to say that it would be through the godly line of Seth. Over the last 10 chapters, we've seen that it's through the seed of Abraham that this Messiah would come. And then most recently, that it would be through Isaac, and now it would be through one of these men. One of these twins, and God says right away, before they're even born, that it would be Jacob. That it would be Jacob who would be the heir, just like Isaac was, of Abraham's riches. So, he, so Jacob is the one here who's supposed to receive the majority of the family inheritance. He's the one who's supposed to receive the ownership of the promised land. Isaac doesn't even know this yet, despite the fact that God has told him. Isaac, it's, he, he's still unaware, or maybe he's in, he's in doubt, but for whatever reason, he still thinks Esau is the, is the chosen one. But this inheritance that Jacob is to receive is called the birthright. The birthright. And the reason why it was called the birthright is because traditionally it was the firstborn son that would receive this inheritance. Strictly by tradition. But it was a tradition that God did not seem to honor through the scriptures. Seth, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, all of these significant men in the godly line of Messiah, they were not firstborn. And in fact, some of the other ones it's questionable as to whether even they were firstborn. It's hard to even tell or know. God wasn't necessarily honoring the firstborn rule, partly because he was calling the shots along the way and partly because he doesn't honor necessarily man's traditions and man's expectations 
for what salvation would look like. God is no respecter of persons. God doesn't judge on the outside. He judges according to the heart. And before He even created Esau and Jacob, He knew their hearts. He knew the direction that they would go. So as God foreknew and as God foretold, Jacob would become the one to receive the birthright. And this next section is how he receives that birthright as a mischievous trickster. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom or red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Traded his birthright, sat down, ate and drank, went his way like it was nothing and he despised his birthright. Now, it might have been something he pretended to value. Oh, it's tradition. Oh, yeah, the birthright, the inheritance. Yeah, I want to get all the money. Yeah, sure, I want all that stuff. This, this, this idea of birthright. It might have been something he pretended to value, but in his actions, he despised it. Through his behavior, he despised what he should have valued. And so many people do this with Christianity. So many do this with the faith. Oh, oh, yeah, I know I was raised. Yeah, I know all the right answers. Jesus is the, the answer. I know all that. You know, and, and by their words, they, they pretend to value the most important thing ever. But as it says in Titus, by their actions, they, they deny God. They claim to know God, but in their actions, deny Him. And, and we read what's taking place, and God is like Esau despised his birthright. He despised what was most important. In verse 30 here, Esau started to be called Edom, red, because of the red stew. Now, I wonder if it wasn't Jacob that started this nickname, right? Like as an annoying little brother just kind of rubbing it in. Hey, what's up, red? Hey, hey, red, remember when you sold me your birthright? Good old red. And he's like, shut up, Jacob, you know? And, you know, typical bantering brothers, uh, he became known as Red from that day forward. And good old Red here, guys, forever becomes a picture of the fool who sells his most important part of his future for a, a moment of pleasure. The most important thing in the future, gone, because he needed to have that thing right then and, and satisfy his cravings. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some insight about Esau. In verse 16 and 17, it says, see that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. By the way, guys, sex is a common way that people mess up their future. It's, it's the common analogy to the red stew. People will, for 15 minutes with that man or that woman, will compromise so much of their future just for that moment of pleasure. It says, See to it that no one is like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently 
with tears. It was gone. He had compromised it. And guys, this is exactly what your flesh wants to do. You and I, we have Esau and Jacob warring within us. The promise, faith in God's Word, and the desires of the flesh warring within us. And our flesh, our Esau within us, loves to think about how pleasurable that sin would be. It's when your mind wants to run off with that thought. When you know you should cut it off. You know you should stop it. But guys, when your flesh takes over, your appetite grows so strong, it'll cause you to do anything, pay anything, give anything for that one moment of pleasure. The hunger of lust, the hunger of greed for just running after money, the the hunger just of of self-gratification. These things take over, and they have taken over. And guys, they have cost people reputation, They've cost people their careers, their closest relationships. They've cost people their marriages. And above all, guys, they've cost people their souls. Like, this isn't a game. This isn't a just, let's be good on our way to heaven. Let's be as good as we can. Like, this is not a game. This is not Mario Brothers where you get a bunch of lives if you hit the green mushroom. You have a soul, and there's a lot at stake here. And there are people who have fed their Esau side so much so that they are in hell right now. There are people whose souls have been given over to the gratification of the lust and now they burn eternally. Jesus said where the worm never dies, the fire is never quenched. This is not a game. Identify that fleshly voice in your mind and put it in its place because your appetite, you might suppress it right now, but it, it can be very, very strong. And your soul is at stake. It is. For Esau, it didn't just cost him worldly riches. It cost him his eternal inheritance. He had no concern for God's covenant, and he chose to trade the eternal reward of the covenant. You know Abraham preached about this covenant. You know Abraham emphasized the importance of staying in God's covenant. And Isaac on down to Esau, and Esau despised it. He had no concern. He traded it for a measly bowl of stew. And sadly, guys, as far as we can tell in the Scriptures, Esau is not in heaven. He tried to repent, and there was no room for repentance for him. And for the Esau's that are perhaps listening to this, hearing this right now, you have no concern either. Like if, if you don't know if you are or not, this is an Esau. You hear the word of God and you don't, you don't really care. You have no concern one way or the other. I could preach to you about heaven and eternal life and the purpose that Jesus brings in your life and the joy that he gives you and you just sit there and it's not appealing at all to you. I could warn you of the dangers of sin, the reality of an eternal hell a place of torment, punishment for sin, and you just walk right out of here and go back to your fleeting pleasures. That is an Esau. That's a dangerous place to be. Jesus spoke of people like that and said it's, it's, there are people in that category who are too far gone, believe it or not. We don't know who they are. And the, the tragic thing is, even if they hear this, they don't care. They're not concerned with it. They despise the birthright as Esau did. 
But I want to tell you guys, if you're listening to me and you, you, this concerns you even just a little bit, then there is a chance, there is the ability for you to still receive the birthright of Christ, to receive salvation, right? This sermon is so often a sermon on how to avoid sin, resisting temptation. And it very much is, guys. Make war with the flesh. Make war against the flesh, as I said, because there's so much at stake. But the reality, the big picture is that we already have been Esau, haven't we? We've already sold our birthrights. The Bible says that all it takes is one sin to disqualify you from your heavenly inheritance. One sin, that's it. And we are all in that camp. The bad news is as we are like Esau, we have no personal claim to heaven. Do you realize that? If you try to stand before God on your own, apart from a Savior, you might think you have claim to heaven as a good person, but your birthright is gone. You have no claim. You have no right to heaven on your own. But the good news, guys, there's good news. Because we have a brother. We have a brother who was first born. And he was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. He never once forfeited his birthright. He held on to it. There's a picture in heaven where the Apostle John is standing there and he realizes the predicament that mankind is in because the earth is given over and no one can claim the title deed. No one can open the seals of judgment. No one is worthy. And he falls on his face weeping. And, and one of the angels picks him up and he says, Fear not, don't be sad, for the lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome. And he is worthy. You see, we have a brother, the Son of God, who walked this earth, who put on flesh to dwell among us, who has maintained and taken back the birthright for us. And the amazing thing, the great thing, is that he's promised to share that birthright with anyone who puts their faith and trust in him as the Savior. Jesus, the Son of God, the heir of the riches of heaven, has promised to make us co-heirs with him if we simply follow him. As many as would receive him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the good news. It's not too late. It's not too late for us. So for those of you who have this hope, who have this faith and trust, cling to Jesus. Acknowledge that voice of the flesh in your life and don't let it take too much ground in your life. Don't give it any ground in your life. Follow God's promises. But for those who have not received Jesus as your Savior, I urge you, that you would receive Him today, that you would follow Him, even as you hear this message right now, that you would follow the true Son of promise. Put your faith, your trust in Jesus and turn away from the things you know God doesn't want in your life. And as, even as I'm saying this and talking about sin, you know the things I'm speaking of because the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart right now. So turn to Jesus because He offers forgiveness of all your sins. Unlike Esau, where there was no room for repentance, we can come to Jesus and be forgiven. We'll get more into the lack of ability for Esau to repent in a couple of weeks, in a couple of chapters. But for you, here and now, there is room for repentance. There is chance to be forgiven. And He offers you the gift of eternal life. Let's all stand and let's pray. So Father, we want to thank You so much, God, that You have made provisions Lord, that we have numerous times in our life known what Your will was 
and yet deliberately turned away from it. We have at times known that we would gratify our flesh and it would cost us something great in the future. And God, we pray that You would give us wisdom and strength and self-control by the power of the Holy Spirit to avoid making these decisions, Lord. And I pray, God, that You would grant wisdom to those listening to this who have yet to receive You as Savior and that they would make that decision right now. That they would choose to follow You, Lord God. That they would, in this moment, as I'm saying these words, commit themselves to You and choose this day to live according to Your Word. We pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us, to equip us, and to walk in Your promises as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Sean here with Ignition Tucson. I wanted to bring you a moment of discipleship. One of the things that we often teach at Ignition Tucson as we seek to make disciples is the six practices of a disciple. These are six things that we should be doing if we are growing and maturing in Christ. Now, these six things aren't things that we would do to earn salvation, but rather these are things we do as a response to our salvation and as God's Holy Spirit is working within us. And the six things are worship, read, pray, serve, give, and commune. And I want to go over with you the six, these six things. The first is worship, that we would put God first, that we would not only worship God within our hearts, but externally, physically, allow our worship to affect our outside, that we would sing, that we would lift our hands and clap and dance, that we would be around other people who outwardly express worship as well. The second is read, that we would be men and women who study the Word of God, that we would be diligent and disciplined to grow in our understanding of God's Word. The third is pray, that we would be in communication with God, that we would talk to Him daily, giving Him thanks for all the things He's given us, uh, taking our concerns and cares to Him, asking Him for things that we would pray. The fourth is serving, that we would be men and women of service who don't simply sit on our hands and watch others do the work of ministry, but we would be active and engaged in not just serving at church, but that we would be engaged serving in our homes and in our workplaces, that we would get up and not be afraid to to be the one to take out the trash and to do the dishes and to volunteer and, and the children's ministry, that we would do these things that maybe other people shy away from, that we would serve our community. The, the fifth is give, that we would be men and women who give of our time, our talent, our treasure. And this really does speak of, of monetary giving, giving of our money, that we should trust God uh, with our finances and in turn give to the work of the ministry. That doesn't necessarily mean you give to this church, but it means that you give God money somewhere, that you support uh, the ministry that He is doing in the world around us. And then lastly, that we would commune. This word commune means to have fellowship. It has the idea of sharing meals with people, but what it really means is that when we are with people, we are present with them. We look them in the eye. We care about what they are saying and we engage with them as we seek to commune with God, that we would truly engage with God. And as you do these six things, worship, read, pray, serve, give, and commune, you will grow in Christ. I guarantee it. God bless you.